sections to you I'll, I'll start again from the beginning if um, you want to join in on the chorus the uh, you just sit there it'll be really good hours alone just wasting my time has flown What will you do Now you don't belong there I'm waiting for you To make you move But you just sit there Looking so solemn It's a wonderful life Oh, have you forgotten? Just pick yourself up I know you're not beaten Come on now, I won't let you down Just pick yourself up 
Tim. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Emmaus Way. Um, for those of you who are uh, new to us or joining us uh, for the first time, uh, Emmaus Way is a community of people who have been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're looking for ways to live into that gospel here in our community of Durham and in the surrounding community of the Triangle. Um, I'm Josh. I'm the arts guy here, so welcome. Uh, a couple of uh, announcements for tonight. I know uh, we were collecting coats and hats and various other things for uh, church world service, and so if you have those, please give them to Laura Chase. She'll be collecting them after the service. Um, let's see. What else do we have by way of announcements? First week of Lent next week. Oh, that, yeah, Advent. Advent. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't jump the gun. Not quite Lent yet, but yes. The church calendar will be there that's right. So first week of Advent next week, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, so uh, on Sunday, if you guys are journeying back in uh, from Thanksgiving or staying with us, we would love to see you for the first week of Advent. For those of you who haven't been with us before in Advent, uh, we tend to have more sort of interactive worship around stations, um, and we'll be singing a lot uh, together during the season of Advent as well. So uh, we hope that you can join us for uh, that, those four Sundays, but uh, especially next week for our first Sunday of Advent. Um, for those of you, oh yeah, Elizabeth. Also on Tuesday, um, Church World Service is having a potluck Thanksgiving meal for the refugee families that are part of that ministry. And we are, this way is taking part by doing a craft station for kids, but like it's for everyone, you know, any age, anybody, just bring a dish to share. It's at noon. Okay, great. And if you in the Soul Cafe, okay. And if you want more information about that, I'm sure you can be in touch with um, any one of our staff people, or with Elizabeth, or Laura, or um, somebody after the service. Um, great. So for those of you who are interested in more ways to connect with the Mayus Way, we have a ton of stuff going on during the weeks. Um, we have home groups. We have a pub group that meets at Bull McCabe's on Thursday nights. Um, all of the information about that sort of stuff and more um, is on our cards, which are over here on our welcome table. Um, there's also a little bowl over there. We're not very good at advertising this, but we will take your money if you want to give us money. <laughs> um, and we have a bowl over there with some envelopes uh, if you'd like to make a donation. Um, I think that's all for right now. Uh, we're going to sing our community song to send our uh, kids off into their space, and then I will turn it back over to uh, Tim and the gang. Tim, Olivia, Jeff, it's great to have you guys with us. All right. Lord, we need a new redemption song. Lord, we've tried, it just seems to come out wrong. 
Won't you help us, please? Help us just to sing along a new redemption song. A new redemption song. Lord, we need a new redemption day. All our worries keep getting in the way. Won't you help us, please? Help us find the words to pray. To bring redemption day, to bring redemption day. Thank you, everyone. Joni Mitchell song coming up for you now, The Circle Game. And uh, please feel free to join in with this as well.
So uh, we're going. Well, you, you have the sheet in front of you. We're going to do a Lucinda Williams song that I know has been performed here many times before. Here goes.
Thanks, guys. Hey, it's good to see everybody here. The uh, We're truly in the round tonight. This is actually going to be kind of a, a uh, there's usually just one sofa behind me, so this will be good. If you guys are feeling ignored back there, Luke, just start crying or something, and uh, we'll, we'll yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll do some sort of movement here. Hey, thank you, everybody, for um, a couple things. One is um, I know that there's people who had to do a lot of work uh, to, to move our space again. So, Josh, I know you had a crew of people, and thank you. Uh, there was a lot of attention that went into that. I walked in the room at 4.30 today, and there was the smell of, uh, of uh, warm cookies coming out of the kitchen. And so people did stuff, and thank you very much for doing that. This is an important night. We wanted to, as you guys know, about a month ago we were in the sanctuary here, and we wanted to just kind of see how this space would work for us. Obviously, one of the things that we'd love to do is um, is to get a sense of how what we typically do works here. One of the things, we, and we would love feedback from you. Uh, folks that are on our lead team, if you're around, raise your hand just so people would see kind of who they could talk to or Josh or me or uh, Dan's away tonight. But again, and, and Chelsea, I think is, she might be with kids tonight. No, no she's right over there. So, um, so any of us, we'd love to hear your feedback. One of the things that's really significant for us is that, you know, most of you know, we're a very dialogical community. We come to not hear me or Dan or whoever. We come to hear each other and we come to interpret text together. We come to imagine mission together. Uh, tonight with our music, one of the things that we've been asked to do is to imagine how life fits into and the rhythm of life fits into people who worship. And so it's important for us to connect with each other in that way. So we would love your feedback to get a sense of, of how this has worked and how you feel like it would, would be for us. So thank you for relocating yourself. Uh, thank you to, I know there's probably a few Duke Memorial folks, thank you for letting us into your space, letting us check this out. You are grand and gracious people for doing that. So thanks a bunch. Hey, it's our custom right now to give folks a chance to stand up and greet the people that you're around. Offer them the peace of Christ. Uh, introduce yourself if you don't know them and uh, I'll give us a shout and we'll get back at this in about two minutes or so. So please stand up and greet each other. So it is great to see everybody here tonight. Again, thanks to folks who did all the yeoman's work in setting up. Uh, this is our last night in the series on the body that we've been doing. Though uh, the tentative plan at this point is to pick this theme back up late in the spring or moving toward ordinary time. Because we, I mean, there's, as we were planning this, there were so many subject areas that we either did very quickly or we said, uh, like last week when we were we're looking at food. We could have done that for three or four or five weeks. Uh, so um, anyway, so we're going to hopefully pick this up in the spring. But it's been fun. It's been fun to kind of think through our uh, our bodies and who we are as bodied persons. What does that mean for us as worshipers? What does it mean as people who are connected to God? I'm going to remind you of the questions that we asked about seven weeks ago that we wanted to frame our conversation on this uh, we asked the question of, what have you learned about your body in the context of faith, worship, the church, for people who are a, a part of other faith traditions? What have you learned about your body? Uh, somebody give me a sampler. That, what were a couple things that we said that typically we tend to think about our bodies or what we've learned about our bodies from faith traditions? Uh, give me a couple things that you guys said.
ideas about your body being dangerous in certain runaways. You have to be careful of what you do with it, particularly around sexuality. Do not do the wrong thing. Yeah, so the one big theme is people, a sense of nervousness, even repressiveness about sexuality, concern, bodies are dangerous, so to speak. And, and even, uh, somebody else, things that you might have sensed or learned about your body from a spiritual or faith tradition or tradition, Christian tradition. Thank you for that, Ben. Your body is a temple. Your body is a temple. What does that mean, Susan? <laughs> <laughs> that that was another sentiment that was expressed lots of things about bodies where people said I really have no clue but we said that a lot yeah absolutely anybody else something else you learned about your body in a faith tradition it was just like a carrier for your soul right the body was sort of the disposable container part and the soul was what was really you right absolutely so your soul is is, you know, and we actually talked about this, the idea that for a long time uh, bodies were a normal part of worship, uh, funeral services, in some traditions still, but almost every tradition used to have a body present. And, and actually the liturgy in the uh, Church of England changed around the 15th or 16th century where they used to actually do the liturgy in a way that was addressed to the body who was present. And then eventually the liturgy began to look away from the body and to the people and the more around the body with the idea that in some ways the body was unnecessary. It had held the soul for a while, but, but ultimately we would be kind of in a soul-ish uh, relationship with God, not an embodied relationship with God. So again, these are things that we've typically learned about our bodies to the point of somebody said when we started a few weeks ago, just said, you know, I've never even considered body being that significant to being a worshiping person, such as the state of the culture that, that we're in to some degree. So that was one question. Another question that we talked about is what have we learned about our bodies in society? How, what, do we, what do we sense and learn? A couple people give me kind of a taste of that, of some things that we tend to learn about us and our bodies just in the culture, the world that we live in, the cultures we live in, our social environments. What do we learn? Women have strict ideals. Okay. What do you mean by that, Jim? How they, what, what women should look like, what an ideal woman is. Okay. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's certainly a deep mythology about what is physically better or more appropriate or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say it's not just women. If you look anywhere in the media, especially advertising, you see these ridiculous images that aren't even physically possible. Absolutely. I mean, I actually feel guilty about my modeling career just for that kind of pressure that it puts on other people's lives. I'm really sorry. But no, I, that, truly, that we have, there's a script in our culture about what bodies should look like. And, and most of us, we did a night on body image. And one of the things that we struggle with is the idea that even the bodies we're looking at don't look like the bodies they are in print or in media. Absolutely. Anything else that we learn about our body life? from the world that we live in. I think there's this idea that we, we can judge pretty much anything we need to know about a person that we meet by looking at their physical, whether ability or disability, race, you know, body image, whatever. We can gather about all the information we need about that person in a snap judgment by looking at their physical. 
Absolutely. I mean, we live in a culture that has made, and a history for hundreds of years, that has made decisions about who people were based on their bodies, based on skin color, based on, uh, I mean, if you have anything that looks like you're uh, not made perfectly, then we make quick assumptions about that. And to some degree, uh, you can imagine now we're getting close to the connection of worship, is that if our, if our contexts say to us that we're flawed in certain ways, and then we come to church and we're trying to say, God loves us and we're wonderfully made, and we're living in a society or a context or a church context where everything we hear is a contradiction to that. So we talked about those two questions. We've also been wrestling with the idea of what does it mean to have a Messiah, a Christ, a Savior, who was a person in body, who was human, who lived in flesh, who seemed to imply that the greatest thing possible was this lifespan of his, short albeit, that involved life death and resurrection. What does that mean for us as worshipers when we worship a God who was incarnate, a God who became flesh for us? So that was a third thing. And then one of the things that we've been trying to do, and I hope that we've taken a step in this direction, is the idea that potentially we as a community can begin to tell new stories about bodies in a way that in some ways defies the environments that we're in and begin to tell hopeful stories about bodies and even more so connect ourselves to the hope that God gives us, which is deeply connected to our physical bodies. So those were the things that we had used to kind of frame our conversation on this. Um, What I'd like to do, we've been tracking along... uh, kind of side by side with 1 Corinthians. We've not done a lot of scriptural in-detail stuff, but but we've made the point that 1 Corinthians is actually this corpus in the New Testament, a big corpus that is almost entirely organized around body issues. And I want to pick a few things up tonight that uh, if you want to go home and read these, you'll find this mainly in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, but the section is chapter 12, 13, and 14, and it involves kind of the embodied life of people who worship God. So uh, I would strongly encourage that you give this a quick read. Um, You guys know one of the things that I do as part of my academic life is I study the idea of identity, is how do people understand who they are, how do they work and struggle to form a sense of identity. And interestingly, in 1 Corinthians, there's a sense of identity kind of answering that question to, uh, to the, the church at Corinth that's left for us to read. Uh, I'm gonna, this is verse 27 in chapter 14. I just want to throw this at you, uh, and, and you're going to get to explain what this means. Uh, the, the, the writer says to us, Now you are the body of Christ, and you are individually members of it. And in many ways, the, this is a, a very dramatic Explanation. It's a very dramatic declaration to say that the physical life and ministry of Jesus um, actually affects who we are, that in some ways we are identified in Christ's body. What do you guys think that means? You're all theologians. What do you, what do you think about that? What does it mean to be identified with the body of Christ? It's something we say, but it's not easily explained. What do you think it means? To replicate, to copy the impact that he had on his world around him. 
I, th- I think that's a part of it. Sure, absolutely. I actually don't have a perfect answer that I'm going. I'm looking for, but yeah, absolutely. What else? You are the body of Christ. This is used often. What do you think it means? Tim, I think about. Um, I think it was Susan used to say all the time when we talked about our ministry liturgy. Like, I can't do all those things, and I can't do them all the time, all well. And so when I think about a body and all the different parts that it has, it has arms and eyes and ears, and it, I, I kind of get the mental picture of we're all part of that body, we're all doing something different, but we're all working together. Um, so that's a pretty big point, that there's some implication of a connectedness to each other because we've all been declared part of Christ's body. So that's in itself a, a pretty bold declaration that our lives are connected. Other than the fact, you know, I, I kind of like Lindsay, you know, and she seems to be really nice, and I've known her for several years, but the implication is more than that, that our lives are connected in some way through, through faith in God and faith in Christ. There's something bigger than that. So absolutely. Anybody else? What do you think? Yeah, Brett. Um, I think about the, the body of... Christ with the marks of the cross on him, the, the holes in his hands and his feet when he's, you know, meeting the disciples um, and, and see, connecting that to, like, Christ has experienced the pain of, and anguish of sin um, in the way that we also experience that and Christ walks alongside us in the midst of our own pain and anguish and sin. Yeah, there's... There's something about the contours of Jesus' life that shapes our lives more than an idea of, I like Jesus, I like God's work, it sounds good. There's a much stronger connection that comes out of that. Here's a couple things that, that I think are significant to us is that the implication here is that our connection to Jesus and his life and his body is not thrown out just as a metaphor, something that sounds good, but actually the New Testament seems to say that we are spiritually connected to the actual life of Christ. So as Brett is pointing out here, that in some ways, if someone were to say, what is a disciple's life? What does it look like to follow God? The answer of that would be in some ways shaped by the life of Jesus and Jesus' life in the body, which is a life, as I said, that begin with life, death, and resurrection. And it's interesting, the New Testament writers say that we're actually joining the life of Christ and the life of a disciple looks like the life of Christ. Now, that in itself is a pretty tremendously seditious comment to make. We've made this comment a lot that in our culture, people tend to think about this idea of things like salvation as something that frees us from something like death. I don't have to consider death. I don't ever have to die. I am freed from death. But Jesus' invitation, the gospel, is actually not this free get away from death card, but it's actually a journey from death into resurrection. So the body of Jesus in some ways defines the hope of who we are as people who are hoping in the goodness of God. Um, let me add Let me add another statement. This is in, also in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to ask you about this in just a second. It says, just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks. Slaves are free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. Now, what does that say about our life in the body? That there is... 
not Jews. They're not Greeks. They're not slaves or frees, but we're all part of a shared body. How do you think that played in the Roman Empire? What do you think he is saying to us there? original text. They're living in an empire that separates people immediately based on their bodies. There are people who are slave. There are people who are free. It's a completely class society. In fact, we've, when we've talked about food, we said one of the things that, that was part of the life, the eating life of people in the empire, is they only ate within their family environment or within their social class, or occasionally within holidays that were under the auspices of the empire. But you did not take food with somebody who wasn't in your family or in your social class. So in some ways, your body life, your physical life, constantly marked you as someone who was part of a slave class or part of a free class, somebody who owned slaves, somebody who served others. Your physical life marked you. It also marked you in terms of your social class. It marked you in terms of your race. Um, It was something that told you your body was you could look at your body and answer the question who am i now interestingly the new testament is changing the game now and saying who you are is you are people who are identified by jesus's body and in jesus's body there is no differentiation between social class between slaves between free between man between woman and so in some ways the body of jesus christ is not just showing us how to follow god The body of Jesus is changing all of our social relationships. The social world that we live in is radically changed because of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And again, this was people who would have imagined that their faith would constantly keep them separate from other people. But in fact, if you were to read like through Acts and parts of the New Testament, what's interesting is this directive that they were not divided in the body was one of the most complicated things that the church had to work out. How do we worship together when our worship includes a meal? How do we share food together? How do we pray together? How do we greet each other when all that we've been trained to do is live as separate people marked by our bodies? Now, here's another text in this passage. We're moving from the idea of identity to how do we live together. This is uh, verse 4 in chapter 12 of Corinthians. It said, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them in every one. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit For the common good, for each is given a gift for the common good. A a theologian, John Howard Yoder, that a lot of us like around here, talks about this whole idea of being the fullness of Christ. There's a declaration that in each person's life, 
You have been gifted. You have been given a gift. You have been given capabilities, abilities that you might be able to share in the worship of a collective people who are identified by the body of Christ. What does it mean to hear that everyone has a gift? What do you think that means? Or how does that affect us? How does it change us to hear that everyone brings a gift? If you all bring gifts, then you all have a place to contribute. So again, it's part of the, you know, being united. I mean, if, if, if I have gifts and you and Phil has no gifts, then he doesn't have to participate, right? But if we all have gifts, then, then we all have to be participants. So our gifts place us in the context of community in a certain way. Absolutely. Yeah, isn't that interesting that there's an equality that everyone... In other words, um, it doesn't say, except for Josh, most people on this side of the room have some form of giftedness that's discernible. But Josh, we're not entirely sure what he might bring, but we try to imagine and hope and we, we like him in kind of a sad way, but he has no gift to bring, right? There's the implication that every person is gifted. Now, in this text, there's a couple of things that are kind of interesting is that the language moves from the idea of gift. It doesn't say spiritual gift or spiritual. It talks about, uh, the, the Greek word is charisms, like charismatic. And when you, when you hear the word charismatic, you tend to think of somebody who has significant gifts and abilities, the type of person that when they walk in the room, everybody knows that they're in the room. But it's interesting, what were the Corinthians struggling with? They were struggling with what it would be like Ben Haas, who's our lay leader, saying, you know, you don't get to be the lay leader of Emmaus Way unless you've got just a few more gifts than everybody else. So I can turn around and greet Jordan back there, but we know that there's a clear hierarchy. I am Mr. Lay Leader to you, more gifted than you are, but you could aspire someday to be like me. And in some ways, this was the conversation that the disciples had around Jesus, Right? And this was the conversation that was happening in the church of Corinth, is that people were saying that we're spiritual, we have something, we have mysteries, secrets, ideas, secret stuff that the rest of you don't know. Maybe someday you'll mature enough to know these secrets of the temple. But the writer here changes the word to gift. How do you think the word gift changes it in that context? Not spiritual, but gift. How does that change the dynamic? Ben is quite awesome. It's an easy analogy to make. But, <laughs> but Laura, I think you're on to something there that the language of gift 
in some way says spirituality, we often think about it as somebody who possesses something. That that person possesses, like we might say, that person possesses an incredible intellect. Or this person possesses an incredible athletic ability. We don't think often about those things as gifts. We think that they conjured up their capability of being smarter or more athletic or more able to dunk a basketball or something like that. But you call it a gift and it came from somewhere else. And so in some ways it doesn't give us the ability to leverage ourselves against others. And it's interesting that Corinthians is doing this about bodies. It's saying that the giftedness of the community is like a body. No part of the body can say, I don't need you. So it's making the idea that there's difference there. It's establishing that what Jordan has as a giftedness might might be very different from what Chansey's giftedness is, but it's not opening the door to a hierarchy because, as Laura says, it's something that has been given to us. It changes the game entirely. So Paul is saying not only are we deeply... Oh, did I miss something? Oh, yeah, sure. Rachel, that's a perfect segue and a great point. So there's some things that we might say that connect us in the body that aren't the traditional gifts that people would expect. So this language of everyone brings a gift and we're all connected in one body. Now, that raises the question of what gifts do you bring? What are the gifts that you bring to... Now, Ben brings awesomeness, but other people bring different stuff, right? So what are some gifts following... I don't know if you guys could hear Rachel, but what are some things... Rachel was saying that for her, the realization of working in kind of a mission environment was she was told that in some ways bringing uh, a difference from another person or a need might be a gift for the community, not just awesomeness, so to speak. So... um, uh, my question I'm getting ready to ask is, what gifts do we all bring and need in community? But yeah, go. So, one of the things about the, the, the gifts that Paul talks about in Corinthians is, so we're told they're spiritual gifts, right? Because that's what it says in Corinthians, and that's the Christian tradition. But if we think about them compared to other Middle Eastern religions at the time, or other religions in the world you might know now, they're actually really kind of embodied. So, something like tongues, which not everybody in, in this church is familiar with, is actually, well, a tongue is, you know, it's very embodied. It's what people do with their bodies. They speak with their mouths and their tongues. Um, and it's the same, the same thing is true for, for most of the other gifts in, that are actually listed in Corinthians. They're, they're far more physical than you'd expect. If you were making up a religion, 
you wouldn't necessarily make up mercy as one of the gifts. And that's something people, again, do very much with the Bible. Um, so, mercy is not an abstraction. Yeah. I mean, like Sarah can't say, I'm merciful. <laughs> oh, okay, Sarah, you're, which is actually quite true. Uh, but if Sarah says that, and she says it too many times, we might say, Sarah, what have you done that's merciful? That's what would be more, more significant to us, right? And, and so even the things we think of as kind of more spiritual, like prophecy, are really in, in, embedded in a particular time and place. And you're, you're speaking the truth of God into a particular situation prophetically, that's embedded in a particular time and place. It's not like, let's say, if you worship Mithridates and you know some special knowledge about some hierarchy of angels. We don't do that, right? So even the things that we might think of as these are spiritual gifts, and the scripture speaks of a spiritual gift, they're not like distant from the body, if we understand the property. They're actually very much embodied. So the gifts are physical, they connect us, and they make us clearly marked as part of the body, but they also mark us as connected to other people. Like as Andrew says, if you were to speak in tongues, you'd be speaking aloud for others to hear. So let me put this at you. What are some gifts that we bring that mark us as a part of Christ's body that might be different gifts than maybe what society was recognized as a giftedness or might be a gift that it would be very easy as a worshiping community to say, that's not important or that doesn't help us any. What are some of the unique gifts that we bring? What are things that, that like Rachel's talking about, that somebody might say, you don't even know this is a gift, but it's significant that, that you bring this. What are some of those things? I'm struggling with somebody, something, and I run into another person who has been wounded by that same thing. That person can speak into my life in a way that nobody else can. Sure. So woundedness could be a gift, or weariness could be a gift. Now, it doesn't always work that way in Christian circles. I think this is one of our great weaknesses. We've had people come to this community have said, you know, I'm starting a divorce, and it just... It's not that great for me to stay where I am worshiping because there's a great deal of emphasis on success in relationships or something like that. But woundedness could be a gift. I mean, when somebody brings and expresses a wound, what does it do? Uh, I'll give you a dramatic example. In our worship about three or four years ago, we were talking about mortality and loss of life. And somebody, I, I can't even remember their names. Chelsea, you'll help me in a second because you'll know who I'm talking about. But the, um, stood up and said, you know, I want you to know this is not an abstraction for us. We, we lost a child a couple of years ago, but because we're new, you wouldn't know that. So we don't want you to feel weird about talking about having lost a child, but we also want to generously say to you that we're in that circumstance. We know what it's like to have a, a loss like that. Who was that? Madam Kristen. Yeah, that's exactly. I couldn't pull the names up. Now, how did that affect us when Matt said that? A third of us started crying. Okay, now, <laughs> definitely a crying occurred. Yeah, absolutely. What else happened in the room? Well, I, I just felt like I, I was such a moment of vulnerability. And you don't get to experience that very often in a corporate sense. Like somebody stands up and is just, you know, very honest about their, their, vulner, you know, their vulnerable place, their dark 
place. So I remember a lot of people afterwards, there was like a receiving line just to talk to them because I think everybody was so appreciative to be led into that. So this profound vulnerability told everybody in the room, it's absolutely okay what you brought tonight. Whatever, because people came tonight around this circle probably having a fight with their spouse or their boyfriend or girlfriend or their partner or they grabbed a kid and said... I'm really mad at you. You better get in that car because we're going to be worshiping God really soon now. And I don't want to have to kill you on the way here. I'm looking at Davey for, but I don't think he did that. (laughs) But so we all brought crap here, right? We, you know, we talked about body image a couple of weeks ago. Probably all of us had a little flash of, oh my God, that's how I looked in the seventh grade. And hopefully no one here remembers that. Or we all brought some kind of brokenness. But when somebody brings woundedness and marks it as a part of the, of the community as gift, then we all breathe and say, we've been gifted by that. What we brought is okay. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. What are some other gifts that we might bring that are unexpected gifts but significant gifts for a community? Oh, I'm sorry, Laura. Um, well, I just think, like, I don't, I guess to us, we seem very commonplace, but, like, I've never been in a church that held these gifts in value, so that's been really uh, good to me. But the gifts of hospitality and even just the gifts of, of art or beauty, um, which have been very central to the founding of the Mayus Wave, that were gifts that in other churches growing up, when I tried to use, they were not only not appreciated, but sometimes, like, even brushed aside and told not to do them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really nice to, to realize that not only does God value them, but they're the church body that very much wants them to be centered. Yeah, I mean, think about, and there's several people in this room that are working artists or working musicians or that, and, and you almost have this image of when do the parents sit down with you and say, you can't make a living doing this. And it's kind of neat in a trivial sort of way. And if you want to paint some cute stuff, then go do that. But do something important, right? And all of a sudden, what if a group of people says something that you do to make something more beautiful is significant. We experience this. This room is a bit of a blank canvas right now, but we experience this every week, don't we? People show up to an empty room and they bring things in that help us not only relax as worshipers, but remind ourselves that God is an author of beauty. And all of a sudden, the mythology that says you are only what you produce is broken down. There's a little bit of a, in fact, I would say even weariness is a gift. Some of you brought great energy. Some of you are at the last two weeks of a semester. Some of you have, have been caring for someone at home, uh, caring for, we're reaching the point where some of you are going to be caring for your parents a great deal. And so some of you bring weariness to this community. In some ways, that gives somebody the freedom to care for you. So these are 
tremendous gifts. And it helps us rethink who we are as created persons. That we have all been made to bring a gift to this community. And this community is marked by the body of Christ, which was marked by, Jesus' life was marked by unparalleled social, political, and business success. Uh, we, uh, if we follow the life of Jesus, surely everything good will get. No, Jesus' life was an utter failure. And, and so to some degree, we're being invited into a, a game where brokenness and hope of resurrection is the transformative gift that it was intended to be. These are amazing gifts. I hope if anything we do in this body series that you might look at your physical life in a different way. That you might look at what you bring as an embodied person to this community as gift to others. Gift because you're able to care because of your body, because you need care, because of your story, and because of your narrative. Let me wax just for a second on the church world that we live in, in this way. Because one of the things that has always been a dream of a mass way is to tell a different story. Not a better story, but in some ways a story that's somewhat different to the gospel. And I'm not talking about specific churches or things like that. But the gospel at times has been so deeply connected to our culture that in some ways the culture forms the expectations of what the gospel is. Like, for example, what I was just joking about, progress. It's the assumption that we live in an environment where everybody's life is getting better. But the gospel sometimes says, no, actually following God might involve sacrifices that are downwardly mobile. And I look around the room and some, including me, have mastered downward mobility. It's, <laughs> it's kind of part of our life together. But here's some things that we are pretty concerned about as a community is that, and this is kind of happening in kind of writ large in our world, is that in some ways we are erasing difference in our, in our worship lives. Um, I, I had, you guys know, part of the story of Emmaus Way. This was about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, I was offered the job of a lifetime, the kind of job where a bunch of people said, we have bought the coolest warehouse <laughs> in the center of a city. We have a staff that's kind of broken, but wants to, we just need a leader to tell us what to do. And, and you are that leader. And, and here's what it's going to be like in worship. I mean, it's going to be fantastic because everybody is going to listen to you. Is If you come into this worship gathering, there's going to be the greatest coffee and food and beverage that you can find. And we are so musically gifted that our C band is a headliner on, in, in the city that we're in. And we, So you come in, you drink beverages, our band plays for about 45 minutes, and then you talk for an hour and everybody will do what you say. <laughs> now, we know that wasn't true, right? But in some ways, that's the formula of church life, isn't it? Is that you, you find what works culturally, that, that everybody in a demographic likes, and you don't have to worry about other demographics because there's other churches worrying about those demographics. So we are a lot of people in our 20s or 30s. So in that formula, we might figure out what do people listen to in their 20s and 30s, play a lot of that, think of a few accoutrements, kind of some snobmodities to have around the room, maybe a little bit, you know, Jordan's starting a church, but our coffee's a little bit better than his, just a few things that are a little bit better, and then you find 
find a charism, a personality, somebody who you just can't help but listen to. And, and, and that person will make it easy for you. They will explain it in a way that you don't have to go home and work it out. You just have it handed to you and you go and follow it. Now, that's a formula that's a pretty strong formula in our culture. But the problem with that is what does it do? It erases difference. It, it doesn't pause for woundedness. It says we're all alike and we like all of the same things. And, and this is one of the things that we are striving to do as a community is to not erase difference but create space where your differences are valued. And what's going to happen, no matter what subject we talk about, whether we're talking about relationships, an ethical question, a political question, if we talk about those things, and we will talk about those things, hopefully it's safe enough that somebody across the room will say, I know you're working for the good, but I think you're working the wrong way for the good. I think this would be a better thing to do. That's our vision of body life. It's not some sort of homogenized, hopeful setting where we don't talk about what makes us different, but to let those differences forge and shape us dramatically. Here's another failure that can happen in in collective kind of worship settings. It's to see community as something that really makes you the best person you can be individually. So what happens is a worshiping community becomes a prop for you to become who you were entitled to be or who you've been formed to be. Church is kind of a Jerry Maguire kind of girlfriend that completes you in a certain way and lets you accomplish what you were destined to accomplish. Dave, what are you destined to accomplish? Do you know? know. Does anybody have an answer to that question? Does anybody know what they're destined to accomplish in the next year or two? Ten years? I have no clue myself. I mean, to some degree, that's our culture that says we gather in groups to build us and make ourselves, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) better individuals. And this is where this whole idea of being joined in the body of Christ breaks a lot of that down. Because it says that our lives are deeply connected to each other. It means that we're not here to try to be the best person we can be. It means that when something happens in this space and community, even if it, it doesn't affect you personally, it does affect you personally. You, we mourn together. We laugh together. We lament together. Our lives are connected to each other in that way. And the point of connection for us is the body of Christ. It's the physical embodied life of Christ. Life, death, resurrection is our path and our journey. Now, as we leave this series, I do want to make sure that you you think this. I hope, my goal has been, as we've talked about things like sexual and erotic bodies, as we've talked about food, as we've talked about the body of Christ, one of the things that I've hoped for is that you would work these things out and struggle with each other over these things. Struggle in small groups, struggle in pub group, talk to each other, listen to each other. Because one of the things I suspect is that the more that we do this, the more that we'll discern the gifts that we've brought to this community. But I also, please, I've gotten such great feedback during this series, some critical, some positive, but really thoughtful. So I encourage you to keep talking to each other, talk to me, help us maintain this as an ongoing conversation. And remember, how many of you guys are watching The Walking Dead? Just Sarah, Brett, and me? 
Oh my gosh. So when the three of us, the rest of you guys don't listen to this, when the three of us go home and watch The Walking Dead tonight, we're going to look at this crazy world that says to some degree life can be separated from bodies. And that, the gospel is the total opposite of that. So I look forward to ongoing conversations. I look forward to picking this up in the spring. And I think these guys are going to lead us into a song of confession and a song of absolution. And Josh is going to take us to the table tonight. And as you kind of begin this song of confession tonight, um, there are so many things that I think we need to embrace as confessions related to our bodies. I think probably one of the most prominent is the idea that maybe you've had the feeling that you showed up tonight and you didn't bring a gift, that you didn't, that, that you're not connected and your connection doesn't matter. In some ways, I would love to demystify that in every way, form, or fashion. And as you sing the song of absolution tonight, be deeply reminded that we exist together in the gracious body of Christ. Moving on, this is the, uh, the second Canadian songwriter's offering of the evening. This is a, a Neil Young song.
So, uh, as our final song this evening, we're going to be singing a song from um, the the now late Lou Reed, who passed away uh, very recently. Uh, one of the most uh, amazing musicians that I've I've encountered, and and someone if you're not that familiar with Lou Reed's uh, work, he's often tarred with the same brush that Bob Dylan gets a lot of the time. People say, "Oh, yeah." Yeah, he, I don't like his voice, he can't really sing or... And, which I don't, you know... It, I, I think that Lou Reed, uh, has, along with Bob Dylan as well, has written some of the most uh, arresting and beautiful melodies that I've ever heard. And if you're not that familiar with his uh, music and you're... If you're looking to uh, expand your library, you could do worse than buy an album called Transformer, which this song is, is from. And... Um, <coughs> Yeah, invite you to uh, sing along with us if you if you feel like it. And and thanks very much for having us here. We we feel really lucky to be here. And uh, it's a pleasure to play music with Jeff Crawford. And uh, thanks again. <coughs> Such a perfect day 
So later this week, on Thursday, a lot of us are going to find ourselves at a table. Uh, We're going to find ourselves at a table with family, with friends, uh, with people that we haven't seen in a while, maybe. And for some of you, uh, going home and going to that table is a very generative time. It's a time where you get to see people that you love and that are very supportive of you. And, you know, we hate you for that because there are others of us for whom it's a much more trying time. Sarah and I always joke that we have to do reconnaissance before we go home for Thanksgiving to figure out, okay, what topics are off limits? Who's not talking to who, right? What's the sort of current political situation? It's like sending an emissary back, right? <coughs> but despite the fact that these, you know, that families can be difficult to negotiate, the fact, despite the fact that we're not always on the best terms with everyone at that table, on the whole, tables are a pretty good place to negotiate, uh, those kinds of relationships, right? It might be that I'm, you know, I'm not too sure about Uncle Tony before we sit down at the table, but then, you know, he did bring that really good macaroni and cheese, so I think it's all right. We'll leave him in the family. Or, you know, Aunt Linda's been really weird this year, but she cooked the turkey, and wow, was it really? Okay, you know, we'll, 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 we'll pull her off the chopping block for now. See, with families, uh, Obviously, these are commitments that we're born into. They're commitments that uh, we, we have and we know we have. They're, they're commitments that we constantly have to sort of remind ourselves. <laughs> Why am I doing this again? Why do I hang, continue to go come every year and hang out with these people? Why is it that I feel an obligation to this community? Right? Uh, the thing about the body of Christ is it's a lot of things. It can be generative it can be wonderful, and the most deeply held relationships that you can find um, can be found there. But it can also be challenging. It means that we have to be vulnerable with one another, and it means we have to encounter one another in many ways at our weakest moment, at, at the time of eating. Um, but as the body of Christ, we get an opportunity to do this every single week. We get an opportunity to encounter one another as the body of Christ at the table every week. 
we get an opportunity to sort of uh, double down our efforts every week. Uh, we get a table, a chance to judge the person who made the communion bread for this week. Um, we get a chance to remind ourselves why it is we've entered into this very complicated, very messy set of relationships um, and remind ourselves what it is the body of Christ gives to us, which is the knowledge that we don't have to do it alone, that there are people who have our back, that there are people who know things about us uh, that sometimes we would maybe rather them not know, but that help them to help us uh, to, to live the lives that we know we need to and to help us when we can't do that by ourselves. So tonight, as we encounter one another at the table at Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are welcome to come and join us. Uh, we break bread for one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you. We pour wine and juice for one another, saying the blood of Christ shed for you. Please come to the table and share with one another in the body of Christ. Amen.